We'll hear argument first this morning in number 92-207, the United States against Xavier Padilla. Padilla. Uh, Mr. Bryson. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case calls on the Court uh, to address the dimension of the so-called Fourth Amendment rule of standing as it applies to a drug smuggling conspiracy. Uh, the case comes from the Ninth Circuit on certiorari and began when there was a stop on the highway between Tucson and Phoenix, Arizona, of a man, uh, Luis Arseniega, who was transporting a large quantity of cocaine. Uh, the traffic stop uh, has since been found to be uh, an invalid stop, and we haven't challenged uh, that uh, the validity of the stop in this court. Uh, <clears throat> what happened after the stop was that uh, about as far as the record reflects, about five minutes into the stop, Mr. Arseniega consented to the search of the trunk of the car, and the officers immediately found uh, 560 pounds of cocaine. Mr. Arseniega then cooperated with the investigation, and that led to the arrest of each of the respondents and others, and they were all charged with conspiracy and various substantive counts under the drug control statutes. Uh, the district court found, first, that the stop was invalid, and second, uh, that each of the respondents had standing to object uh, to the stop of uh, Arseniega's car in the search of the trunk that led to the drugs, and then further found that the rest of the investigation had followed from those discoveries and therefore that the evidence with respect to uh, the defendants had to be suppressed. The Court of Appeals on the government's appeal affirmed uh, in major part the, the court held with respect to uh, respondent Javier Padilla and with respect to the two Simpsons, that uh, the district court's ruling was correct, relying principally on what we will call the joint venture exception to the uh, uh, standing rule, uh, or the joint venture application of uh, the standing principle. And with respect to uh, Maria uh, and George uh, Padilla, uh, the court said that a remand was necessary to determine uh, whether they had standing under this exception, and with respect to the remaining uh, respondent, the court said that he did not have standing under this exception. The court's rationale essentially was that because the Simpsons both had an interest in the car and also had a supervisory or control relationship with respect to the conspiracy and the activities of the conspiracy on the day of the stop, uh, that they had standing, and because Javier Padilla, again, like the Simpsons, had a supervisory or control relationship within the conspiracy with respect to the transportation uh, that he had standing to object to the stop of the car. Mr. Bryson, uh, the Ninth Circuit, as you've described, went off on some notion of, of standing That's required right. to address the privacy concerns of the Fourth Amendment by virtue of the joint venture. If, if we were to think that um, that was not the proper focus, the briefs in the case address the new argument here that, well, in any event, they're standing because of the property. Well, Your Honor, I, I think that... interest. Yes. Do we have to deal with that here, or should we? I think you should, and, and here's why. Uh, the Ninth Circuit referred to the expectation of privacy, uh, but they were clearly talking about both privacy and property interests that were affected by the stop. Uh, there's discussion throughout the uh, Ninth Circuit's opinion, even though they t use the term expectation of privacy, which isn't precisely the right uh, nomenclature. But they use that term to describe what they clearly meant 
to, to say was at issue here, which was both the Simpsons' ownership of the car and therefore the effect of both the stop and the ensuing search on the rights, the Fourth Amendment rights in general of the Simpsons, uh, and also uh, the ownership interest. But, Mr. Bryson, the question presented in your cert petition says nothing about ownership as a justification. Well, Your Honor, we, in, in our cert petition, we address, we use the language that the Court of Appeals used. Now, I, I think it is somewhat imp- imprecise. We probably should have specifically said property and you probably should, interest. but you said nothing about it, and you relied entirely on the joint venture rationale in your question. Well, Your Honor, the, question you the position taken by the Court of Appeals was that joint venture, which, of course, in, in their view, incorporated the, the interest of the Simpsons in the car and the interest of the... Uh, uh, of Javier Padilla in the cocaine, that that, the joint venture, including... I know the they gave additional control. reasons, but you didn't challenge one of those reasons. Well, Your Honor, we, we challenged the judgment of the Court of Appeals, which was premised in its finding that there was uh, an expectation of privacy, as they called it. You think the question directed at one part of the analysis gives you a license to, to just challenge anything about the judgment you want to? Your Honor, I think there are two points to be made. First of all, I think that the Court of Appeals clearly meant to encompass both privacy and property interests. They used the wrong sure, terminology, as this Court has... But you didn't challenge reason. that part of their reasoning. That's well, my point. Your Honor, I think a fair reading of our petition is that we did. And what's more, and there's a second reason, uh, the respondents came back and, in defense of the judgment, said that there is, uh, there's a reason that this judgment is valid, even if... Uh, the, the ground that we, uh, we challenged it on in the, in the petition can, should be viewed as, as being limited to expectation of privacy, and that is that there were property interests at stake here which were affected. That, if that's an independent ground in support of the judgment, then we're entitled to, to respond to their claim with respect to an independent well, Does the government take the position that the ownership of a car does not give the owner a, a right to challenge the seizure of the car? Your Honor, we, 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 the answer is yes and no. We think that it, the ownership yes of the and car. No. Yes, the first, the yes part is that we think the ownership uh, of car, of the car generally gives the, uh, uh, the owner an op, uh, a right to, to object to a seizure of the car, and which deprives you, the owner of the you deny that rights. a stop is a seizure? The, this particular stop was a seizure, but it did not affect the ownership interests. But was it a seizure of the car? It was a seizure of the car. It and affected the owner the doesn't have standing to challenge it because it didn't hurt him right at the time. Is that the exactly? Point? It did not. And, and when I say hurt, what I mean is it did not affect any of his property interests in the car because the only thing that was at issue there was the uh, interference with Arseniega's right to continue down the highway. Uh, Arseniega was in control of the car. The stop affected control. It didn't affect a proprietary interest in the car. So, yes, generally, an owner of a car has a right to object to a procedure, to a, uh, a seizure. But in this case, this kind of procedure did not uh, implicate the owner's... Suppose, suppose the government had loaned... Uh, suppose uh, the car had been loaned for, uh, for a week and the government uh, seized it and kept it for only six days. Couldn't you say the same thing? Well, if it had been loaned for a week, suppose it's a rental car to make it... Uh, right. Uh, and, and the rental uh, agreement was that uh, after uh, seven days it shall be returned. And, in fact, the car was returned on the seventh day. The government had held it for those six days. And in between, we would say that the effect on the, the person who rented the car, the, the renter of the car, the, the rental company, uh, was that their property interest in the car were not affected. Now, this case involves much less, of course, than a six-day seizure. But the principle is the same. The principle is that the interests of the owners in getting their car back and in uh, 
being able to enjoy the, uh, the use of the car during the time that they intended to use it, which was when it came back, was not affected. Keep in mind that this was that the Simpsons gave this car over to Arseniega for a couple of days. And what, what about their privacy interest in the car? I mean, what if they had confidential information in the, in the glove compartment and they're willing to tra- trust Mr. Padilla with that? But they're not particularly willing to trust the government with it. Well, I mean, if there's a privacy interest, and the privacy interest is, and they have retained a privacy interest in the car, then uh, they may well have a basis for objecting to the search of the car, yeah, but, but not but the seizure. Possession, possession and privacy go together. I mean, possession, the possessory interest is a, is a substitute for privacy. It's the main way by which privacy is protected in goods. Your Honor, where... Uh, as in this case, all that happens is that you hold the goods and you don't conduct a search at all. Uh, in this case, there was a consent search, which waived, in effect, the privacy interests of uh, the Simpsons in the trunk, whatever those might have been. But if all that had happened in this case is, is that there had been a stop, and let's say Arseniega had made a confession which implicated the Simpsons, then no privacy interest in the car would have been implicated. They, the car would have been held. But what really is at issue with respect to the Simpsons is they have given over control, the use of the car, for a period of several days to this man. And that man's personal right to control the car, which has been ceded to him by the Simpsons, is what was affected by the stop, plus his personal right as an individual to travel on the highway without being interfered with. There is no interference with the ultimate, call it a remainder interest or whatever you want to call it, in the property of the Simpsons. Now, they may have a separate privacy interest, which may be implicated, but if, as we submit, if they have a privacy interest, say, in the trunk, and, and the district court found that they did, that privacy interest could be, in effect, waived by uh, Arseniega's consenting to a search of the trunk, which we think is manifestly uh, the case that he had a right to... to well, Mr. Bryson, don't our cases generally in the Fourth Amendment area say that the privacy interest is protected against seizures, and the property uh, privacy is protected against searches, and the privacy interest is pro- the property is protected against seizures. Yes, that's right. And and here, uh, we we there was a seizure which affected the uh, property interest of control of the car of Arsenega, temporary possessory interest. But he doesn't. He's not a defendant, so he would have standing to object. But the privacy concerns, uh, which are uh, with regard to the search of the trunk of the car, are at minimum waived by Arseniega's agreement to uh, allow the, the Mr. search of the Mr. Bryson, trunk. I thought that uh, the respondents say that there wasn't consent here. That's Was what, that issue dealt with below? No. No, Your Honor. They, the district court did so not. So we're not in a position no. to answer that's, that. That's right. The only thing that's before I mean, this. You would acknowledge that based on the district court's finding that the Simpsons had a privacy interest in the trunk. And the question of consent is open? I think the question of consent is open, Your Honor. They, they may, if, if this case is remanded, they may uh, say that there, there was an invalid consent. And if they both had a continuing privacy interest in the trunk and we had an invalid consent, then we would have a problem because then... Well, we well then do you, do, do you say that we have to remand in this case? Is that the best results you can hope for? Well, I, I think that you're going to have to remand, assuming we win uh, the, the, the major submission in the case, you will have to remand for uh, a disposition of the remaining uh, uh, claims and ultimately for trial. And there, the, I, I think you, there, there has not been a final disposition by the Court of Appeals, for example, of the consent issue, and there is a finding 
by well, what, what difference does it make if the if to the Simpsons interest if Mr. Uh, uh, Arsenegas con consent is, is valid or not this is the difference I think uh, if the Simpsons did not retain any privacy interest, even a joint privacy interest, with Arseniega in the trunk of the car. Let's suppose this has been a search of the, of the front seat where the, the officer had stopped Arseniega and just looked in the front seat and there was all the cocaine. We would argue, and, I, and we would be right, that the Simpsons just had no continuing privacy interest in the front seat of the car. So in that setting, it wouldn't matter whether, whether Arseniega's consent was obtained voluntarily or involuntarily since the, the Simpsons would have no continuing privacy rights. But the argument that the Simpsons make below and the argument that was accepted by the district court was that they continued to have a privacy interest in the trunk. Now, uh, well, do you if agree that's with true, oh, go ahead. We, we don't think that's right, but we do have a district court finding on, to that effect. Now, if that's true, then the, uh, the, the way we get the evidence introduced is by showing that the consent was valid on the part of Arseniega. Arseniega, in effect, did what the Matlock case uh, indicates could be done in this situation. Well, my, my, my uh, suggestion is that even if the consent is invalid as to Arseniega, uh, the Simpsons get no, no benefit from that. They, they don't if they did not retain a privacy interest in the trunk of the car. On the other hand, Okay, now tell did, me about what, how, how we go about determining whether they retain a privacy interest in the right of the car. Do we have to look at the terms of the bailment? Well, Your Honor, I think you have to look at... Or at the criminal enterprise, as the, as the Ninth Circuit suggested? You would have to look at such things as the terms of the bailment. Uh, you would have to look at uh, whether in, in the view of... How is the officer to know this when he makes a stop? Well, the officer is, is, is not going to know it, and uh, typically the officer will be in a position of, of having apparent authority to, to uh, go into the trunk. So even if the... The person who's the driving the car doesn't have actual authority, may have apparent authority. But the key here is that if there is a retained privacy interest in the trunk and the officers coerce the uh, individual into giving up uh, uh, his right to go into the trunk and, and force, in effect, they do the same thing as, as if they had simply said, out of the way, we're going to jimmy up the trunk, and they open it with a crowbar, then they have violated privacy interests on the part of the Simpsons. Now, well, I, I, I don't understand how an officer is supposed to know whether someone else has a retained privacy interest in the trunk. Do you, well, do you just take your chances when you open a trunk with someone's consent? If, if, he had, if he's in a situation where it's reasonable for the officer to assume that uh, somebody who's driving the car uh, has authority to consent to the search of the trunk, then the officers acted reasonably if he obtains the consent in a, uh, in a valid fashion. Is so, it reasonable for the officers to do that if they know someone else owns the car? Uh, typically it will be, yes, uh, because they will assume that somebody who is driving a car and is in, is in the middle of the highway has authority to go into the trunk, particularly if he's been given the keys, as was the case here. The uh, Arseniega had the key to the trunk. Well, then why don't you win? Why do we have to remand? Well, we, we think we do win. If this court wants to make a finding with respect to the validity of the consent, it can do it. But I, I, that is typically the kind of thing that I would think would be made by the district court in the first instance. We're not saying that you can't reach that issue, but I'm... I, I'm well, I'm, I'm confused as to how we determine someone, some third person owned, has some retained privacy interest in the trunk. It seems well, to me there's a question of whether or not... Uh, an officer acts reasonably, and whether this is a legitimate interest that we're prepared to recognize or not. Well, if the, if the officer... We, we, we can assume that most cars riding around out there have third person's properties in them. I, I don't think that prevents the police from stopping the car and asking to search it. Not at all, if the police get a valid consent from the person that's driving. The, the only point I'm making, and I, I, I'm not making it very clearly, I'm afraid, but the, 
The only point is that if the officers go up there and beat a consent out of Arseniega, that's not reasonable police conduct. And they are therefore not entitled uh, to uh, uh, the benefit of, of the search, which may affect what turns out to be somebody else's privacy interest in the trunk. On the other hand... But con- conceding that point, yes. uh, well, why are you getting into the question of the authority of the driver of the car to consent to the op- uh, opening of the trunk? Well, only because uh, the... I mean, the, the, the officer, as Justice Kennedy said, has to o- operate on reasonable assumptions. He can't get a whole uh, chain of title to the car when exactly. he's doing Exactly. That's why apparent authority is the, is the question with respect to the officer's perception of Arseniega's right to open the trunk. If the, if the officer looks at this man who's driving down the highway and says, anybody in this situation, I'm going to assume, has authority to go into the trunk... That's a reasonable conclusion. That's why we think we win on the validity of the consent. That's why we think that in, if this case goes back to the district court, we will prevail on the question of, of whether this was a valid consent. Because as this court said in Illinois against Rodriguez, the question of reasonableness under the Fourth Amendment is the apparent authority of the consenting party to well, consent Mr. to the Mr. Bryson, I thought the, I thought the major point you wanted to have us decide was whether or not uh, this joint enterprise uh, notion uh, is a valid one uh, to give standing, and and to decide that, I would think we could just dis- we would say, just forget about the ownership of the car. We'd say, suppose Padilla owned the car. Mm-hmm. Suppose Padilla owned the car, and the same thing happened. He consented to go in, and and uh, the court of appeals would have come out exactly the same way. They would have said uh, because they are all co-conspirators, they all have an interest in in uh, the transportation of cocaine in that car, they have standing to object. That's what the Court of Appeals would have said. Yeah, well, is that the major point you that, want us to decide? That is the principal issue in the case. And uh, the ownership of the car certainly, certainly uh, perhaps we don't need to, if you want to ha- hassle about it, maybe, maybe we could avoid even deciding the question you want because, there's a, because uh, uh, you should lose on another ground. Well, which is uh, if we, but uh, you're, you're absolutely right. If we lose on the joint uh, venture theory of standing, that then you don't have to reach the ownership of the car, or anything to do with the car. If you hold, as the Ninth Circuit held in this case and it's held elsewhere, that all you need is a sort of supervisory and control yeah. role in the conspiracy. So it wouldn't make any difference who owned the car. That's exactly right. It wouldn't make any difference. What I'm arguing is, if you reject that broad argument, and we hope you do. Then you have to address, we think you should address, the questions that are raised. Well, by yeah, but what if you, what, <clears throat> if, if we say, if we, if, if we say that, if you lose on that major question, why the case is over. Exactly. We're, if, if exactly. you rule that the Ninth Circuit's joint venture exception, if we'll call it, we'll call it that, is correct, and that all you need is to have yeah. supervisor control. So you're, the, the case is over and you lose. We lose. And but you if, don't but have if you win on that point, the case isn't over at all. Exactly. Uh, Mr. Simpson. You go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. If you win on that point, though, you have won as to the Padillas. We have won as to the Padillas, except and for And arguably, the since you didn't raise the question as to the others, maybe we should dismiss that part of the case as improvidently granted. Well, your, primi- your primary argument as to the Simpsons goes to this whole ownership question, which is entirely different from what I thought we were granting when we granted this case. Your Honor. And even your argument in your brief doesn't even talk about standing. It talks about whether there should be suppression, which is a distinct issue, whether you win on the merits. Well, Your Honor, the, uh, the, the merits in, in 
Court's uh, opinion in Rakes, uh makes the point, and I, we do use the term standing, but, but technically the Court has said in Rakes that standing really is just a proxy for talking about the merits of whether a particular individual has had a Fourth Amendment violation of his personal rights. And so it really is a question of whether it's a violation of the particular defendant's rights. May I go back just a second to your hypotheticals? You went by part of it so fast. You said that if there was a stop and the owners had standing to object to the stop and the stop's illegal, that if the cocaine was sitting in the front seat where it became, was in plain view after the stop, there would be clearly, uh, there, would, there, there would clearly be no standing. If I understood you correctly, there would be no stand. There would be no argument that the Simpsons retained a privacy interest, setting aside the possessory interest. No, because they became, because it came into plain view as a result of what you've conceded was an illegal stop. It came into plain view. That's true. But there's no pri- continuing privacy oh, but interest. But would you say that they have no standing to, to object to the seizure of the cocaine after their car was illegally stopped and therefore it became visible? Is that well, if they were driving, they would have standing. No, no, they're not driving. But if they're not driving, absolutely, that's our position, Your Honor. Our position is that if they leave cocaine in the front seat of a car, then the only Fourth Amendment event that occurs that, that amounts to anything is the stop of the car. And our position throughout has been the stop of the car does not violate the Simpsons' rights. They are back in Douglas or whatever, waiting to get their car back two days hence. And their cocaine. Well, they want the money. They, they want don't the want money. the cocaine. <laughs> I, I think, I think you, uh, Let me go back, if I may, to, the, to, to your argument that the Simpsons do not have any property right that was infringed. And your argument, as I understand it, is that if the Simpsons have consented or the owner has consented uh, to, uh, uh, to another person's having possession and the stop occurs during the period of that consented possession, that there is no property interest that the Simpsons or that the owners can assert. But it seems to me that is simply identifying all ownership interests uh, with simply possession at the time. And, and the fact is the, the Simpsons have not in any way that I can see given away their right to control as owners of the car who will have that possession. And they, in effect, have says, you, the driver, can have it. They certainly have not said the United States government can interfere with it. And so I don't see why the mere fact that a third party has possession with the owner's consent precludes the owner, in effect, from asserting a different ownership right, that is to say, the power to decide who, in fact, will have access to that car and who will be able to stop it. Well, I I think that the owner could decide that if presented with the question, uh, uh, if if, uh, uh, Arseniega were to... uh, call back on a phone, a uh, car phone or something, to the Simpsons and say, uh, should I let uh, these officers take this car away? Well, why does he have to do that? The only thing we know is that the Simpsons let Arsene Yeager have it. That's right, There's no they're... implication there that they are consenting to or, or giving permission to anyone else to, to, to perform any act which interferes uh, with, uh, with the automobile. Well, but they let him have it for a couple of days. And... And our point is that when there is an interference with his exercise of control, which is what they have ceded, they have not. Well, ceded. no, they haven't. They haven't ceded all exercise of control. They've ceded the control of the car to him to the extent that it's necessary for him to control, to have control to drive the car. But they haven't ceded anything else. Well, they, they have, uh, uh, we think, ceded the right to, uh, uh, for example, stop the car at some point on the highway and get some lunch. They've ceded. Sure, because that's a normal incident of the possession which they have given to him. But they haven't certainly ceded anything 
uh, to a third party, which is what is which is what we're concerned with here. Well, the the only thing that that Arseniega, the only way in which Arseniega, Arseniega was affected, the only way in which the Simpsons were affected, uh, as far as they were concerned, no, no event occurred that affected. Uh, their continuing enjoyment of the use of the property. Simply, the only thing, it did not affect their possession at the moment because they did not have possession. That is the only thing you can say. Well, that's true, but, but that, what uh, our point is, is that they, their right, their property right in a car that they have, uh, uh, they've given to somebody else is limited, we think, to the... Mr. Bryson, what if the car had, what if Arseniega had stolen the car? And well, was carrying drugs in it. Now, could the real and, and and it had drugs in the trunk that Arseniega didn't put there. The owner did. Now, could the owner complain there? Would the owner have standing if there were an illegal traffic stop? If there were a traffic stop, I don't think so. No, because the owner an illegal stop. an illegal traffic stop. No, because the owner again uh, the owner's the owner property hasn't consented to anything. No, here. the owner in that case hasn't consented to anything. But also a, a five-minute stop doesn't constitute a meaningful interference with the, with the owner's possessory rights. The, it doesn't, does it have to be possessory rights? There's no seizure unless my possessory rights? So if I leave property to someone, you, 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 the government can walk in and seize that property and no right of mine has been affected. There's been no seizure of property as far as I'm concerned. Well, if you lease the property to somebody for five days five. and the government it comes in... Five years, the government comes in and takes it and says, I'm sorry, I know you leased it to X, but we're going to take it over. Well, uh, they, you know, it's a problem for X, it's no problem for you. And I say, but I didn't lease it to the United States. I leased it to X. Get out of here, is what I would say. You haven't seized my property? Well, you, you, there has been a seizure of the property, but your rights are not affected. My, the right, but my right to property includes the right to exclude. Doesn't it include the right to exclude? Well, but you have, we think, waived, in effect, unless you put some kind of specific prohibition if, against any If I case. choose not to exclude one person, I, I waive the right to exclude the rest of the world? At least in a case like this, when Arseniega, so far as the record reflects, is oh. not given any... Because you say so in a case like this, but I don't know why a case like this is different from any other case. Well, if there is a... a you could have a prohibition against some further disposition. Mr. Bryson, I see the white lights on. I'd, I'd certainly like to hear about the Ninth Circuit's theory. It seems to me that once you say that it depends upon the terms of the bailment that was given, that the Ninth Circuit's theory begins to have some plausibility. Why is that not so? Well, the reason it's not so, Your Honor, is because the Ninth Circuit, in our view, focused on the wrong thing. They focused on the role of the defendants in the commission of the crime. They should have focused on whether the defendant's particular Fourth Amendment interests were violated. Now, Suppose the two are interrelated. Well, we, we don't think, uh, well, if they're interrelated, you focus on the, uh, the way in which the Fourth Amendment right was affected. In a case like this, what the Ninth Circuit is saying, in effect, is that Mr. Big, whether it's the head of a whole conspiracy who's back in Mexico, who's saying, I want those drugs to get to Los Angeles and I want the money back, has standing just as much as any other defendant in this case, because the Ninth Circuit, under the Ninth Circuit's theory, if you have supervisory authority and control over the transaction as a whole, it doesn't matter whether somebody invades your property or somebody conducts a search of premises in which you have an expectation of privacy. If you have neither of those, you have neither possessory or, or ownership interest in the property nor uh, privacy interests, you still have standing under the Ninth Circuit's theory because you have control over the transaction. Well, yeah, I know, but the Ninth Circuit says because you have control and you have a joint enterprise, you have a joint interest in the transportation of 
that cocaine well, by that car. Well, that's, that's what they said, and, and well, of course, you could say that with respect to the well, you know, Mr. Big. That's the issue of whether they're right on that. Well, we, we think they clearly And uh, they would still maybe, as I said before, I think I said if Padilla owned the car, but I assume the driver of the car owned, owned the car and gave consent, the Ninth Circuit would have come out exactly the same way. Because, uh, because the, uh, the members of the joint enterprise have an interest in the car and an interest in the cocaine. And well, they concluded that that interest was based on their criminal joint venture, but that would be applicable to everyone, down to and including the principal in the, uh, in the enterprise. And we think that just departs by leagues from this Court's well, focus. That's the issue. That's the major that's, issue. That's the major issue. Yes, sir. I'd like Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bryson. Mr. Nash, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I think it is important at the outset to recognize that this is not a search case, but a seizure case. Uh, District Judge Bilby's ruling in this case was limited to the invalid initial seizure of the car. He never reached the merits of the search questions, except insofar as to find that they were tainted by that invalid initial seizure of the car. The merits of the consent, the merits of the trunk search, and all of the other activities that occurred after the invalid seizure are not at issue here. They were not at issue in the Ninth Circuit. Well, how does a policeman know that he's either searching or seizing when he stops to question a suspect who's driving an automobile? He always There's obviously but, been a detention of the property. Does that automatically mean it's a seizure? Yes, sir. Under prior decisions of this court, Delaware versus Prowse is perhaps the, the most cited one. Stopping of a vehicle, even for merely checking a driver's license and registration, is most definitely a seizure of the automobile, its driver, and all of the contents. Well, the, you, uh, uh, you, you say the district judge just focused on the illegal stuff of the car and that everything else is illegal after that. The question is, who has the right to question the uh, Ill, illegal stop? Exactly. That is well, that's the, the question. That's the, so, issue. that's the issue so, uh, of the court. And if, if, no, if no one else uh, except the driver had a, had a standing to challenge the, uh, uh, challenge the stop, uh, your client should lose the case. Under that hypothetical, that's correct. Right. But both Mr. Padilla and Mr. and Mrs. Simpson had a possessory or property right in both the car and its contents. Well, suppose the stop were lawful. If the initial stop were lawful, then the issue then the issue as to the seizure of the car would, would not be subject to further argument. The issue would then turn to... Well, then it's not just a question of seizure. Well, the way the case is postured to this court, it is. Because the, the only issue that was ruled on in the district court and in the Ninth Circuit was the seizure of the car, not the consent, not the other things, except insofar as they were tainted. There's been no hearing on the merits of that consent about the trunk search or the other issues. District Judge Bilby was very clear in saying, I will not reach those things because the issue of the invalid initial seizure is a case dispositive ruling. Under Soldal, uh, the interest that needs to but, be... But it seems to me first things first, because you've, con you, you, you've conceded that if the stop were lawful uh, then, and the consent were lawful, then there would be no question of seizure. Under that so I question the district courts and the Ninth Circuit's approach. Well, we always have to begin with the first level of intrusion. And the first level of intrusion is almost always the stoppage of the vehicle or the person. If indeed that level of intrusion is deemed to be valid, that we then turn to the other intrusions, the search, a subsequent seizure, if indeed there's one after the car is first stopped. 
If you're right about that, Mr. Nash, why did the Ninth Circuit uh, reverse as to Struby? I mean, they, they decided the case finally as to him. Because what the Ninth Circuit said was Mr. Struby had not claimed and could never show any possessory interest in either the contraband or in the vehicle, nor could he show or did he attempt to show any right to privacy. What the Ninth Circuit has said, uh, and I would take issue with government's counsel characterization of the joint venture rule, which I don't think you should reach in this case, but the rule is not mere membership in a joint venture ipso facto confers standing on a litigant. What it says simply is that a court will quite properly analyze the relationships of the parties to each other, to the property seized, or the property or place that was searched. That isn't what the Court of Appeals said in its opinion, as I read it. It, it apparently has a well-developed doctrine of joint, uh, joint venture in a, in a criminal uh, undertaking. And it, it referred to joint venture, and uh, it cited previous cases. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's very difficult to say that the Ninth Circuit didn't decide the case on that ground. Perhaps it should have decided it on another ground, and perhaps the two are interrelated. But the, the Ninth Circuit opinion just abounds with the word joint venture. It does, and let me suggest to the Court two reasons why it does. And first of all, it is clear that the Ninth Circuit does not go off solely on an expectation of privacy. The decision is also replete with citations to the possessory interests and property rights of Mr. and Mrs. Simpson and Mr. Padilla, not only in the car, but also in the contraband, in the contents of the car. The Ninth Circuit does talk about right to privacy for two reasons. Number one, in the appeal in the Ninth Circuit, the only issue raised by the the government in that case was the right to privacy. They never challenged the, the possessory interest of the property right allegations at the district court. Point number two is... I think it is fair to say that the Ninth Circuit, perhaps like the Seventh Circuit before sold all, improperly blended a right to privacy analysis and the consideration of a seizure. In Jacobson, uh, this Court recognized that the issue of a seizure turns on property rights, not right to privacy. That was made even more clear by Justice White's recent opinion in sold all. A right to privacy analysis simply has no place in, in a seizure case. It applies in a search case. Mr. Nash, uh, the, the question presented in the government's petition for certiorari plainly raises the joint venture issue and nothing else as far as I'm concerned. Correct. Whether membership in a joint venture to transport drugs gives co-conspirators a legitimate expectation of privacy. Uh, uh, your opposition to the petition for certiorari uh, confront that uh, joint venture theory uh, head-on. I do not read it as saying there's no joint venture issue in this case. It does two things. Number one, it, it, uh, the briefs of counsel do very definitely say this is a seizure. And under sold all, which was decided just I'm days... I'm talking about the briefs of counsel. I'm talking about your opposition. Did you make the, uh, the argument in your opposition to the petition for certiorari that you're now making, namely that the question presented is not in this case? Mr. Padilla's... Opposition did not squarely raise it. Mr. Simpson's did raise. His pro se uh, opposition did, in fact, raise the issue of property rights as being different from a right to privacy. However, what, no, I think you can answer this question, yes or no. Did anybody raise the issue that the question presented is not in the case? Not that there's another issue in the case, but that this issue is not in the case, which is what you're now telling us. Mr. Simpson did in his opposition. Where, where did he do that? His counsel has indicated to me that's found at page 10 of his pro se opposition to the petition for writ of certiorari. Also, I would, I would suggest to you, Justice Scalia, that if the Seventh Circuit 
was mistaken and confused in its proper application of whether or not right to privacy analysis applied in the seizure case, which it was, and the decision there that was clarified by this Court and sold all. If, if they were mistaken, then both the Ninth Circuit and perhaps counsel that were involved in the application of that test could also have been mistaken. Would, would you show me where on page 10? It, I, I have page 10 and I don't see anything that, that says the issue is not in the case. Maybe I have the wrong page 10, but I don't see it. I mean, it's, it's an important issue. I thought that that's what we were going to talk about today, and you tell me. Yeah. Page 10, which starts the paragraph beginning at line 24. In addition to erroneously overlooking the important difference between privacy interest and possessory interest, and it goes on to cite Jacobson and talk about that. Yes. That is the square issue that we're talking about. No, no. The issue I'm talking about is a contention which you have made, not that there is an additional issue, but that this issue is not in the case, that the issue on which we granted certiorari is not in the case. That's what you've told us. You've said that issue is not here. If this is a seizure case. Would you show me where that appears in anybody's brief? Or otherwise say, as far as you know, it does not appear in anybody's opposition. To say that in the opposition of Mr. Simpson to the petition for writ of certiorari, that the government overlooks the difference between a seizure, which doesn't involve right to privacy, that is the issue. That is the point that we are raising. That's a quite different point. You're saying there's an additional issue here. There's a difference between the joint venture issue and the possession issue. We understand that. That's not the point you were making. You were making the point that the joint venture issue is not in the case. Now, do you still make that point? What I am saying is that if this — Yes, sir, it is in the case. Okay. It is in the case. It's raised in the case. It ought not to be. That is my argument. If this is, in fact, a seizure case and undersold all, a right to privacy analysis does not apply. And the question that the government sought certiorari on is what role, if any, should a joint venture standing issue play in determining right to privacy? Undersold all and under Jacobson, if this is a seizure case, right to privacy analysis doesn't apply. We are claiming a possessory interest or proprietary interest in both the car and the contraband under two separate theories. Number one — excuse me, under two separate theories, one of which is car and one is the contents. The government's claim in this Court is that an absent owner can never properly claim a possessory interest in an automobile. And that simply has not been the law in this Court or in any other. We assume we agree with the government that this joint enterprise theory is — doesn't give standing to the members of the conspiracy without more. Then you would still suggest to us that we should affirm on another ground. Yes, sir. Namely, but if we agree with the government on that, it seems to — on their submission about the joint enterprise, it seems to me the only people who might have standing to complain would be the Simpsons who own the car. No, sir, because that overlooks the interest in a possessory right to the contraband. Further, Mr. Padilla at the district court level claimed a bailment-type interest as well in the vehicle. So the issue of ownership of the car strictly pivots around Mr. and Mrs. Simpson. In the district court, Mr. Padilla claimed a bailment interest in the car. It was he to whom the car was entrusted to transport the cocaine in the next leg of its journey. Well, let's assume that — let's assume that the driver of the car owned the car. And let's assume that the — that the consent was valid to open the truck — open the trunk. Now, the possessory right to that cocaine isn't going to help them very much because it's just a plain-view seizure then. 
That's correct. And uh, if under that hypothetical, which is not this case, you would be correct. Well, uh, that would be this case if uh, we say that the Stinsons uh, don't have, uh, just because of their ownership, don't, don't have standing to object at all. Under that hypothetical, that would be correct. But the Simpsons are clearly the owner of the car. In your hypothetical, the owner of the car was driving it. Mr. and Mrs. Simpson clearly have the ability and the standing to challenge the invalidity of the initial seizure of that car. Well, just, if, just if, if, if we don't agree with that, why uh, the seizure of the cocaine uh, is, uh, is not challengeable? And assuming the validity of the consent, which is an issue that has to get perhaps sent back to the district court. So suppose that uh, Arson Avert was going 90 miles an hour, and he was stopped. Valid stop, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, and the police said, may we search the trunk of your car? And he said, yes. Is that a valid search? If we assume also the validity of the consent, yes, it is. Yes, uh, and at, at that point, isn't the case over and the Simpsons lose? Yes. If Why, we, then, isn't this a search case? Because this case, number one, involves a search that is, by the government's own tacit admission by not challenging it on appeal, invalid. The district judge found that there is absolutely no objective, articulable fact to support the stop. That is the first difference. What, what standing do the Simpsons have to raise the violations of Arson neighbor's rights? When was, he's been invalidly stopped. Because it was their car, sir, and they also had a possessory interest in the contraband. Clearly, if one has a possessory interest in a vehicle, even though one happens to be absent at the time of the stop, you are not deprived of your ability to contest the Fourth Amendment violation. Don't our cases say that you can't have a legitimate possessory interest in contraband? They do not for standing purposes. They do for forfeiture or for other seizure purposes, for purposes of forfeiture, but not in standing. That argument has been squarely rejected by this court well, what, every what, time it's been which, which of our cases is that? Trupiano was one of the ones that cited in the briefs. It says it makes no difference if the object seized is contraband or not. There is still a proper Fourth Amendment interest. Trupiano was largely overruled by Rabinowitz. But not squarely on that point. There is no case that the government has cited to this court that says in a search and seizure context that one loses standing to raise a possessory interest or right to privacy simply because contraband is involved. Do you have, do you have any case stronger than what remains of Trupiano to support your position? You, you say the government has nothing to support its position. Jeffers also says Jeffers. the same thing. Of course, you have a more difficult problem, don't you, than simply, on, at least on behalf of the Simpsons, uh, than simply asserting what you described as a possessory interest, because you've got to, they, they would have to uh, base their claim there on, on constructive possession. They did not, in fact, have possession of the drugs, and, and it's, I, I would have thought that the theory on which you get constructive possession, one element of which is the right to control the dominion over something, the right to dispose of it, is essentially a theory of property or ownership, and they do not have any ownership in contraband. But they can have a possessory interest in it. No, but that begs the question. They don't have a possessory interest in the sense of having present possession. You, the only possessory interest they can have is a constructive possessory interest. And if a constructive possessory interest implies uh, title or ownership, which in fact is precluded in contraband, it may be uh, that as to contraband, the only kind of possessory interest that can give standing is a present possessory interest as opposed to a constructive one, which is what the Simpsons have here. But possession does not require ownership. It merely requires a measure of control and intent to control. Well, and what's your, what's, what's, where do you get the power to control something which you do not have in your physical possession 
if you do not, in fact, own it? By merely possessing it. You but they're not, no, but you're, that begs the question. That's just okay. circular. You admit that they don't have any present physical possession, right? Yes, sir. Okay. They have what we traditionally refer to as constructive possession, if anything, right? Yes, sir. Isn't it an element of constructive possession that you must have a, some source of right to exercise dominion and control, even though it is not in your presence? Yes, sir. And do we not usually find that right to exercise dominion control in title or property to the goods or to the object in question? It can be found from title. It is not necessarily limited. Where, where else do you get it? You can get it from someone bailing it to you. You can get it from a temporary bailment interest. It does not require any type of ownership, and I would agree well, with Well, it you. seems to me that that just pushes the difficulty further off, because the bailor doesn't have any possession at that point. Well, the bailor uh, can and, have and if the bailor's only possession is constructive, uh, then you've got the same problem with the bailor that you have if you deal with, uh, with the people in the Simpsons' position right now. It, it just kind of adds another layer of constructive possession to the analysis. If this Court chooses to find that one can never, as a matter of law, have a possessory interest in contraband, then your hypothetical is correct. All, all we have to find, it seems to me, is that you may not have title or ownership in contraband, and I thought that's where we were at the present time. One can possess something, my argument is, without necessarily owning it. Well, I agree with you. The government urges that, that an absentee owner can never claim any type of uh, proper possessory interest. And with regard to the vehicle and with the contraband, once we assume the correctness of my position on the possession versus ownership issue, uh, is simply not valid. In Jacobson, this court found that an individual had a cognizable Fourth Amendment interest that was affected by a seizure, even though they clearly were not present at the time the package was seized. Uh, in place, the same kind of situation arose. The precise seizure in place that was the subject of this Court's inquiry occurred at a time when Mr. Place had been allowed to leave the airport, was not present, and was not involved with any of those activities. In, in both of those cases, one was Federal Express, the other an airline, uh, it was open and obviously uh, clear that uh, this was a bailment. That's clear, and that's, but, that, that uh, is exactly but, this, this case with even what, more control exerted over the bailee by the bailor than was found in the Federal Express example. So are, are you saying that any time the police stop an, an automobile and find that it's registered to a different owner, that there can be no consent given by the driver? Absolutely not, sir. We are not saying that Mr. Arseniega's consent, assuming, number one, the validity of the initial seizure of the car, and number two, assuming the, on its merits, if you will, validity of the consent, is, is not binding on anyone else. It would be. It would be binding on everyone else who claimed an ownership or possessory interest in the car. But the vice of your hypothetical is that it assumes two facts that are not in this case. One, a finding of validity of the initial seizure. Number two, some type of ruling on the merits in favor of the government and the issue of consent, neither of which exist in this case. But clearly, if we assume those two things, person who is driving the car, who is properly empowered to drive it, can issue a consent under this Court's prior decisions that is binding upon anyone else. That is not an issue here. But the point that I was making was that the prior case law of this Court clearly establishes that one may be absent and still have the right to complain about a seizure. The issue of absence clearly more appropriately affects the issue of right to privacy. Uh, simply put, if I have an interest in property, and someone trespasses on that property, whether or not I know about it or I am present, I still have an interest that has been offended and an interest that would give me the right to complain about that. And it is no difference when one considers standing. 
The government makes much to do in, in the, the written briefs filed in this case concerning the issue of minimal intrusion versus more than minimal intrusion. Traditionally, this Court has analyzed the issue of minimal intrusion versus more than minimal intrusion as to the level of finding that the government has to, has to make, the kind of showing they have to make to justify the initial seizure. If it is merely a minimal intrusion and counterplayed against a strong prevailing governmental interest, and the kind of showing the government has to make is merely reasonable suspicion. If it is more than a minimal intrusion, probable cause is required. What the government seeks to do here is bootstrap that argument to the next level. And what they seek to do is say that in the case of a minimal intrusion, no articulable objective facts need be shown, not even reasonable suspicion. That really is the thrust of their argument here. It is important to recognize that in this case, the record is very clear and unequivocal that there was no fact, no specific articulable fact that could support the initial detention of the car in this case. So the government wants to take the minimal cases to the next level, which I would submit is simply not, not justified in the facts of this case or any prior precedent in this court. If we look at the issue of whether or not this is a case limited to a seizure, then the joint venture rule, as it determines one's right to privacy, has no place in the analysis. What the Ninth Circuit may have done is the same thing that the Seventh Circuit did and sold all, is improperly consider one's right to privacy in determining the propriety of a seizure rather than a search. This case is a seizure case, and hopefully sold all, as it did in the Seventh Circuit, will clear up this issue and provide guidance to counsel and courts that the proper measure of inquiry is not right to privacy, but is instead property rights. This is a seizure case. The Court had no other questions. I thank the Court. Thank you, Mr. Nash. The case is submitted.